In our previous message, we looked at two main points, and those points were attack the messenger and attack the message. And there were false teachers in the church of Galatia that had infiltrated and were teaching the people something contrary uh, to what Paul had taught them. And maybe you can relate to that in, in one sense, and maybe you're teaching your children something at home. And then they leave the home and they're being taught something the complete opposite of what you're teaching them at home. That would be concerning to you. That would be a very serious thing. And that's actually one of the main reasons that Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians. No doubt though, when these false teachers came into the church, they didn't advertise and market themselves as false teachers. Like, uh, hello, we are false and deceptive teachers and we have come to lead you away from the truth. So why don't you come and listen to what we have to say? It doesn't work like that. You know, just like when, you know, you have a psycho boyfriend or girlfriend and uh, they don't come up to you and say, ah, right away. You don't find that out till later on down the road. Now, listen. In the church here, no doubt it was a very subtle approach initially in that they mingled with the people. They came into the church. They developed a relationship. They established a rapport. Maybe these false teachers were really nice people. They were friendly. Maybe they handed out some good-looking literature and material talking about how you could grow in your relationship with God. Whatever the case may have been with the Galatian church, there was a point that came when the people heard something that didn't line up with what the Bible said or the message that Paul had shared with them. And this happens in all of our lives where you will hear something that maybe somebody that on the outside, they look nice or they, they seem friendly, but then something will happen where you have a light bulb that goes off and you say to yourself, that doesn't sound right. I don't really know what it is right away, but I feel like there's something off with that. See, right there is a crucial point in any person's life because it is at that point that you either decide to embrace that false teaching or you decide to research it and reject it. Maybe the Galatians initially said no to the false teaching. Maybe that's the reason behind the false teachers against Uh, attacks against Paul. Maybe the Galatians stood their ground upon what Paul said from the Bible, and so they started attacking Paul to discount what he said from the Scriptures. Attack the messenger and get the message as collateral. I think for our church, Vision City Church, for us, for our church today, we need to be very aware of the fact that the enemy can be extremely covert in how he attacks the church from the inside out. From the inside out. And yes, even this church, that could happen where the enemy comes in and tries to lead people astray. And that's why it's important for you to know what the Bible says. See, if the enemy can allow emotions, opinions, gossip, to affect what we believe about the truth of God's word, then he's being effective in his attack and his attacks against the church. That's why we always need to test what is being said, whether from the pulpit or from the people, against God's word. What does God's word say about this? I heard a pastor say this, and I'm going to look in the Bible. Where does it say that? 
You know, I heard these people saying this, that, and the other thing. How does the Bible support that? Because there are things that can be taken out of context and misconstrued. We can be overrun by emotions to the extent that we just forget about what the Bible says and act upon what someone else says. Or really what we feel about that subject. And so this morning, I have two points again for you. Point number one as we begin in verse 6 is this. Quickly turned. Quickly turned. He says now in verse 6, Galatians 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different Gospel. Which is not another, verse 7, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the Gospel of Christ. That phrase, turning away, in verse 6 here, in the Greek, actually means soon removed or transferred. Transferred. He says, I marvel that you guys are transferring from the truth found in the Gospel of Jesus to a perverted Gospel. Now, just for something to think about, have you ever had an experience that caused your mouth to hit the floor? Like it just dropped to the floor. Like I'm marveling about this. Like a real stunner. Sort of like when I, when I first saw Ruth. You know, Paul said he's marveling. He says he's marveling. Like I just, I can't comprehend this. Like what in the world? How is this possible? That so quickly you are turning from the truth found in God's Word. In the context of our study, Paul could have said, I am blown away or I am dumbfounded how you have been so soon removed from Him who called you. You've backslidden. You've walked away. I can't believe that you have transferred from the grace of Christ to a different Gospel. And there's not another Gospel of Jesus. There is only one. And so though there is only one way to heaven and one Jesus and one Gospel, there are many who want to trouble your faith and desire to pervert the Gospel of Christ. This is fact. Pervert. To seek you to turn around. To make the the, the Gospel of Christ backwards and lead people off the right course. To lead people astray. Now from church history, we know that there were certain men that crept into the church when Paul left. See, Paul had led the Galatians to a personal relationship with Jesus. It was such a special and sweet thing to be in that position. If any of you have ever led somebody to the Lord, you know what an amazing thing that is. Paul led the Galatians to a personal relationship with Jesus and had planted the churches there in that region. But these perverts would seek to destroy Paul and thus destroy his message of God's grace through faith in Jesus. And this is what is always under attack. It might look a bunch of different ways, but when you get down to it, it is who Jesus is, how you are saved, and the process by which you're saved. This was the same thing that was happening here. There were men that brought in heresies into the church, a different gospel, another gospel, but all together different from the gospel that Paul shared with them. See, this different gospel was trouble. This different gospel was illegitimate. This different gospel was perverted. I mean, if you think about the gospel, illegitimate, 
troubled, and perverted. That really sounds like everything the gospel message is. And yes, I am joking about that. Interesting how there's always someone who brings in the false gospel. Into the church, it doesn't just go poof, there it is, and then there it is. No, somebody will usher in false teachings into the church. People bring in false doctrine. Because when you look at what the Bible has to say, it is others that will raise themselves up and contradict what God's Word says. Bring that into the church. Spread it around. Seek to attract people to follow them instead of following God. Martin Luther said this, and I quote, Note the resourcefulness of the devil. Heretics do not advertise their errors. The devil puts on white to make himself look like an angel of light. End of quote. See, the perversion of the gospel, what happens like any con, you take an element of the truth and you insert the lie. You take something that's believable, uh, a piece of common knowledge that someone knows to be true, and then you twist it. Because Satan does seek to trouble the church. And if you haven't found this out yet in your own life, which I'm sure you all have already, Satan seeks to trouble you. He's after you. He's come to rob, to kill, to destroy, to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your children, to destroy your ministry. To destroy your life. Satan, if we look at the whole picture of what is called the church, has infiltrated it and he's crept into the place where the pure gospel should be resounding. If you go to church, you should be hearing the pure element of the gospel. The pure truth of God's Word. And you know, That's not the case for every church. Many have been led astray by false teachers that are teaching things principled in God's Word but founded upon worldly viewpoints. And this mingling of the world's view has caused the power of the Gospel to be diluted. That power of the Gospel to change people's lives has been removed from the Word of God because they're not teaching the Word of God. And when there is no Word of God, there is no power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. Working through the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3-4, through it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Fables. Made up stories. See, Christians get themselves into a bad spot when they're thinking, when our thinking, when your thinking, when my thinking is not led by the Holy Spirit or checked against the Word of God. That's how we find ourselves in trouble. That's how we end up making a mess of things because we go with maybe what our emotions are telling us. We go with maybe this 
book that we read from a secular author tells us. We go with what pop culture tells us. We go with what it says on MTV or on the news or whatever it might be. And so we'll roll with whatever this says and we're no longer led by the Holy Spirit or by God's Word. We're actually being swayed by the opinions of man. We're being swayed by the world that's under the control of Satan. The Word of God is our compass. It's our very thing in life that gives us bearing, that gives us knowledge of what is truth and what is lie, what is righteousness, what is unrighteousness, what is pleasing to the Lord, what is displeasing to Him. And when we remove the Bible from our schools, we remove prayer from our schools, from our our government, we remove it from our country, we see the terrible things that happen. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody, it might have even been my dad, it might have been yesterday actually, that in the 40s and 50s, the biggest problems that high schools had was chewing gum and running in the hall. And you start to see the removal of God, the removal of God's Word, the removal of prayer, and then we're seeing things happen where kids are shooting and killing other kids. Where the suicide rate is just climbing and climbing because we're teaching children that they are accidents and that they have no purpose. Because it was a fortuitous occurrence of accidental circumstances over billions of years that caused you to be with, you know, caused you to be where you're at today. You go on to public school campuses and they're oppressed. You go to you know, college university campuses and they're oppressed. You can feel it. The devil's playground there because our fourth branch of the government, our educational system, you know, is, is just under the control of the enemy. And we see things that are being propagated and we see things that are being indoctrinated. We see things that our children are being taught that are completely against God's Word and they're starting to teach them at a younger and younger and younger age. Where kids that shouldn't be learning about the birds and the bees are being forced to look at what it means to be actively involved sexually. It's awful. It's awful. That's why the church needs to hold on to the Bible. Because no matter where you're at in history, no matter what country you live in, no matter what society says are norms, you have your bearing. You know what the truth is. Paul wrote to Timothy in the verse that I just read that people don't want that people that don't want to abide by what God's word tells them want to live by how they feel. And when you live by what are my feelings on the matter instead of what are my facts, you will find yourself swept up by deception. See, the enemy, Satan, does not want you to be in the spiritual realm. He wants you in the physical realm. He wants you in the mental, the emotional. Because that's where he can destroy you. That's where he can destroy me. That if I'm no longer leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit and maintaining my composure and self-control, then what happens is that I'm now in the emotional realm. And I am in the mental realm. My mind. I'm allowing my mind, I'm allowing my feelings on the matter to control me. And now the enemy has me where he wants me. 
That's why the Bible tells us to not lean on our own understanding. What you think or what you feel about it, you go to what God's Word says about it. The people of the Galatian church were quickly turned from the truth of the Gospel to a different Gospel because they did not hold fast to the truth. You and me are susceptible to the same thing. Some of us, we're fiery. And we're passionate. And we feel things. Some of you are like, whoa. (laughs) Hello. And I heard this. And I saw that. And you know, that's good. You can have a righteous indignation. Things that are evil, it should fire you up. I don't like those kind of things. But also our emotions, if they're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, they can lead us to places we ought not to be. If our thoughts aren't under the control of the Holy Spirit, then we can get led to a place where we ought not to be. And you know what? It's not an immediate thing for a Christian to backslide. It's a gradual thing. It's not just one day you decide to be like... It's a steady drifting from your landmark, which is God's Word. And you start looking at everything other than what God's Word says. So Paul was marveling at the fact that they quickly turned. And the people of the Galatian, uh, Galatian church were quickly turned from the truth of the Gospel to a different Gospel. And what always happens is that you go and turn away from the Lord, it hurts you in the end. And so point number one was quickly turned. And point number two, it just so happened to work this way today, is quickly burned. Some people in churches today want to ignore the fact that there are still false teachers in the world. They just think, oh, you know, that's the olden days. There's not false prophets anymore in the world. Listen, some of the most popular speakers in all the world are false prophets. These men and women, evident by their actions, were never called by the Lord, but inserted themselves into what they perceived possibly as an opportunity. Taking a little bit of the truth or that which the listener desires to be truth. How about that? And proclaimed it passionately. Man, I have an audience that wants to hear a certain thing and so I'm going to give them that truth and I'm going to be passionate about it. Paul calls those people false apostles and deceitful workers back in 2 Corinthians 11. Men and women in the church behind the pulpit or standing up on stage and even in the audience that are deceiving the people of God. And you think, how in the world? I thought that happens outside the church. And that's where all the enemies are. Out there. You know, when I go to my job and I know they're not Christians or I you know, live in my neighborhood and I know that they know that I don't see things the same way and they constantly harass me about it or on my team or, or, or whatever it might be. No, actually, it can happen inside the church as well. Now, I'm not trying to make you paranoid and some of you kind of start like scooting over in your seat a little bit. I don't know. Uh, no, the thing is, is like you've got to know what God's Word says. You got to know what God's word says. Because somebody that is in the church that would be known as a false teacher or a false prophet or somebody that is not doing what they should be doing, they have no desire to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, Paul wrote in Galatians 6 2, will be there later on down the road, but he just wrote and said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
But see, the false teachers would seek to add to the church's burdens, not take away from their burden. The same applied when Jesus dealt with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of His day. I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus said, you know, they bind heavy burdens upon men. And they don't even lift them with one of their fingers. Heavy to bear. And see, that's what happens. When you turn from the truth that is found in God's Word, you become burdened. Burdened. Anytime where you have a church where there is a false teacher or a false teaching that is spreading around, listen to this carefully because I think this is important for you to understand. I think we need to understand this as a church. That anytime there is false teaching from a false teacher, there is a false sense of security. The audience will have, whoever is listening, will have a false sense of security of being right with God when in actuality they are the furthest thing from it. And you might think to yourself, how messed up is that? Someone comes to church to try to seek God and to hear from His Word, but they don't get that. They have somebody that is teaching them lies. Somebody that is going to tell them that it's okay to live that way and God is cool with you when He is not. See, a church that does not have Bible teaching can fall prey to this kind of thing. False teachers want to keep you away from the Bible. They don't want you looking at it. They don't want you reading it. How many of you brought your Bibles today? Okay, let's put those away. They don't want you in the Word. That's why part of what our desire as a church for you guys, and listen, there's no perfect churches. I'm not saying that we are. I mean, we're mostly, but not... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm hoping our vision behind what our church is about is that you don't just read the Bible one day a week on Sunday. That you go home and you read it every day and you study it for yourself. That this would just act as a prompting for you to go and to be the Christian men and women that God has created you to be. Because false teachers want to keep you away from the Bible and interpret Scripture in ways that help themselves. They want to help themselves. They have no desire to help other people. They actually are going to use what the Bible says and twist it in a way that serves their own purpose. So the false teachers wanted to keep the Galatians. Now in context, yes, this is a lot of information, but I want you at the end of our study of Galatians to know exactly what this was about and how it applies to us as a church and you as a family. The false teachers wanted to keep the church away from what Paul had to say so that they could promote their own false message. And they called themselves Christians. They say they've been sent by God, but in actuality, they're doing doing the work of Satan. They can even appear to be great people and filled with light, but we already know that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. And for this reason, we believe in teaching the Bible to the people that attend our church. For when the deception arises and you are presented with something that you need wisdom regarding and something comes up in your life and whether it's on the spot or you have time to think about it, the aim is that you will have all the tools necessary to discern the will and the Word of the Lord. That you would be equipped 
That you would know what the truth is. So it's not just, oh, hey, what's Pastor Garrett say or what do the other people say? No, it's like, I know what the Word of God says and you stand on your own two feet spiritually. That is the vision behind this church and why we teach the Bible. So Paul now says in verse 8, making it extremely clear, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And it doesn't get any more clear than that. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, claimed to receive another testimony of Jesus Christ from an angel called Moroni. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, claimed to have received divine revelations from the angel Gabriel. Those in the New Age movement claim that the light beings visit them and tell them the real truth not found in the Bible. Even furthermore, in my dealings with those in the New Age movement, the light beings have communicated that the greatest threat to mankind is the teaching of the Bible. It is no wonder that even Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. So Paul warns, that men will seek to qualify their teachings or even validate their quote-unquote so-called divinely revealed additions to or subtractions from the Holy Scriptures by claiming that they've received it from an angel. An angelic being presented me with this new truth. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13-15, through it says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. This this should cause all of us to be on our toes. Because I don't want to see any of you guys going astray from what God's Word says. And the only way that we're going to go astray from what God's Word says is A, we just don't know what God's Word says and we're not looking to it. Or B, we deliberately make a choice to disobey God. The latter, that's on you. That's on me if we choose to go directly against what we know to be true in God's Word. But it's better to know what God's Word says and to live by it. So Paul warns the church that even if he would personally fall off, and that includes me too, Paul warns the church that even if he would personally fall off, turn against what God's Word says, that they should reject him, for he would be accursed. God forbid, but if I were ever to fall off and start teaching something that was against God's Word, you run for the hills. You get out of here as fast as you can, for I'd be under the curse of the Lord. And don't worry, it's not going to happen by God's grace. As we've said before, so now I say again, verse 9, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So the other gospel that was being preached to them was a mere, I guess you could say, a caricature of the true gospel. It wasn't the, the genuine thing. Because if you think about this, like intellectually, understand this. There is no perversion in the truth. The truth of the real gospel that is found in God's Word, but rather the perversion lies in the minds of the false teachers perverting the truth. 
So there is the truth is not perverted. That is your straight line. It is from God. That is the authority. The perversion lies in the minds of the false teachers or in those individuals that would seek to take that straight line and bend it or loop-de-loop it, whatever it might be. There's a really odd story that I came across and it was particularly a little disturbing. Uh, but I'm going I'm to share it with you because I think that it really connects what we are talking about. There's an odd story of the wolf and maybe you've heard of it, Baron Munchausen's horse. It says, beginning at the tail, the wolf ate its way into the body of the horse until the baron drove the wolf home, harnessed in the skin of the horse. And I was thinking about that. I was like, that's kind of morbid and it's a little strange. But basically, it was another way of describing Satan masquerading as an angel of light. It might look like a horse, but it's really a wolf. See, the false teacher distorts and misrepresents the true gospel by importing into it his own corrupt philosophy as the wolf did with the horse. It has this veneer of righteousness. But then if you start to dig a little deeper into the Scriptures, most deceptions go unnoticed for far too long than they should have. When you start looking at, okay, I am going to open my Bible and look at what God's Word says. Because that's what I need to know right now. Because we can easily be led astray. Hey, man, they're really cool and they're nice and they're eloquent. Man, they speak extremely well. Oh, they're extremely sweet or whatever it might be. They seem right on. How do you know what right on is if you're not right on the Word? We we need to know what God's Word says. We need to know what it says. Unfortunately, our enemy loves to prey on the young. Those that are young in the faith to trip them up, to hinder their spiritual development. I find this particularly angering because I've seen young people in the Lord. And I'm talking not about a physical age, but about a spiritual age that have stopped going to church, that have fallen back into old lifestyles because the enemy try to get them before they could even get started. And it's disturbing to me as I think it disturbs all of us. And I think that's why Paul rightfully so writes that let any person that perverts the Gospel be accursed. Let those that reject the truth and intentionally plot the ruin of others suffer severely. One commentator put it this way, and I quote, all perversions of the truth are fruitful in moral disasters. End of quote. See, for the teacher perverting the Gospel, it's just a matter of time before they're exposed. It's just a matter of time. Sometimes, and I think this is the unfortunate part and unpleasant part, that it takes a lot longer than we would like it to take. Sometimes you're just like, why can't it just be made known right away? You know, that's one of those things where we need to hold fast to what we know in God's Word. And eventually, the Lord will do the work of exposing 
that false teaching. And it seems to be expedited in a group of people that already know what God's Word says. The Bereans were commended for being people that didn't just take what Paul said because he said it, but they actually researched it against God's Word. That's the kind of Christians we want to be. I want to not just take it at face value. What does God's Word say? Do the Scriptures support what is being communicated? Does the whole counsel of God fit in to this particular subject? But for the teacher, holding fast to God's Word, he must continue in it. He must not change the message, which is God's message, to fit man's desire. I was thinking about this. If you hired a courier to deliver a message for you, and they changed the message that you sent, they'd be out of business. They'd be in some big trouble. If I hired somebody, I said, deliver this message. This is exactly what it is. I'm writing it down. I'm sending it. You deliver it. And they go in and rewrite it and change it and then deliver it on my behalf. That is a major problem. And we have a major issue with that happening in the world today where people are taking God's Word written by God, given to man, and they are changing what it says and then delivering it to the people as God's message. There is a message that God has given in His Word. The couriers are the teachers. And if the teachers change the message, they'll be dealt with harshly. I mean, when it comes to life or death, spiritual situations... There better not be anyone changing the message of how you live and how you die. Those that are quickly turned from the truth are typically quickly burned by the lie because it's a matter of time where it comes down like a house of cards. It fizzles out. It loses traction. Or it's exposed sooner or later as being fraudulent. We've seen this in church history. You know, from... Barking in the spirit to, you know, different lifestyles being promoted as okay. I mean, it doesn't matter. Sooner or later, you're going to see that the end leads to corruption because it is not the truth of God's word. There is not another Jesus. There is not another way to heaven. There is not another gospel. There is only one. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 9, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. And if you look back at verse 6, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Can't be having this. This turning away from the gospel of Christ. Ain't nobody got time for that. Can't be doing that. We've got to hold fast to the Word of God. And finally, in verse 10, our last verse for today, it says, "For Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So just rhetorically, am I going to change the Word of God? Am I trying to fight against the truths found in the Scripture? Am I trying to twist what God says in order to convey to others a misrepresentation of who God is? Am I trying to please the culture or people in my congregation by what I teach? Is that my main drive? As 
somebody that's called to deliver and to communicate the truths of God's Word, am I doing it to please myself? Am I seeking to tickle people's ears? Am I changing the message of God's Word to fit my culture's perspective? Paul said that he wasn't changing the message to please man because he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Period. A messenger delivers the message. And though they may hate the messenger, it's the one to whom the message belongs that they really have a problem with. You know, oftentimes you'll have people say, well, you Christians, you know, you say, man, I heard you say, you said you have to be born again. No, I didn't say that. I didn't come up with that. I'm not the authority. Jesus said that. So your problem isn't really with me. Your problem is with God. And see, the hate that you see that's taking place in the world, it's interesting how the enemy is just the master of the reversal. The spin. It has to do with man's problem with God. And they don't like anything that represents who God is or what His Word states. That's why Jesus said, a servant's not greater than his master. That's the way it goes. We're the messenger. We should communicate with tact. We should communicate with love. But we should communicate the truth nonetheless. Paul said, I am not seeking to please man, please people. I'm seeking to please the Lord. I'm a bondservant of Christ. And if God gives me this message to deliver to you, then you're going to get that 100%. Paul's job was to persuade men of the truth, not to persuade God to change the truth. And lastly, ministers today must not apply and fashion their doctrine to the affections, humors, and dispositions of men, but keep a good conscience and just do their office. Do their office. What your office represents, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. For ministers, we need to pray. For the church, we need to pray. Because there is an enormous amount of pressure upon pastors to buckle under the pressure of society. There's an enormous amount of pressure, whether it's from legislation, pop culture, spiritual warfare, all of it, to have this done away with. To have the Word of God lose its power. To have people who need Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior be forbidden to come to Him. So it's one kind of evil when you reject the truths of God's Word for yourself. And it's a whole other kind of evil when you're not only rejecting it yourself, but you're holding other people back from it. And that's the world we live in. And that's why you need to know the truth because the truth will set you free and your friends free and your family free and your co-workers free and your classmates and your neighbors. You know the truth. 
You be the living epistles, those living letters that go out from this place that are making a dent in the kingdom of darkness and shining the light wherever you're at. And all that you do, may you do for the glory of God. Great precedent has been set for us to follow and we're going to continue to learn more about how our church can stay on the right track as we continue our study through the book of Galatians. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for giving us this place, Lord, at this particular time in history where we can open up Your Word still and study it and read it and say it out loud and apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that You would bless Your church today, continue to strengthen it, continue to build it, continue to establish it. I pray, Lord, that You would bless every family that is represented here, Lord. I ask that the men of the house would be the spiritual leaders that they've been called to be. That all the women of the house would be those women that are known as virtuous women. And Lord, I pray, God, that our children would be protected. Please, Lord, protect our children as their world is a lot more evil than it was when we were their age. And Lord, we ask, God, that You would continue to establish who we are in Christ. May we not quickly turn, Lord, but may we stay firm, Lord, hold fast to the truths found in Your Word. And so, Lord, today, upon hearing these things, I ask that we would be encouraged in knowing that we're on the right track pursuing You. And Lord, may we not grow weary while, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So Lord, bless us today. Give us a wonderful afternoon, a wonderful time with our family. Bless all the moms, Lord, that are here. And Lord, we ask just for a great, great day. And Lord, strengthen the family units in our church, Lord, as well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen.